Hey there, I'm Joanne Tambrakis, and this is Marketing, Mindfulness, and Martinis. Unfiltered conversations, or as I like to say, opinions shaken, not stirred, on what's changing and what's not in business and in life as we enter into the next normal. So pour yourself your beverage of choice, and let's get to it. going to dive in right away today and welcome back to the podcast, my dear friend, Gloria Felt, who besides being an acclaimed expert on women, power, and leadership, and the co-founder and president of Take the Lead Woman, has a brand new book that is now out to add to the many others she has written. And this one is entitled Intentioning, Sex, Power, Pandemics, and How Women Will Take the Lead for Everyone's Good. I love that title. Welcome to the back, Gloria. How are you? Thank you, Joanne. It's always a pleasure to be with you. (laughs) Well, I cannot think of a more perfect and more timely topic to discuss today than your new book. And we talked a lot about your story in episode 25, which I will link to in the show notes for those who want to hear more about you. But today I really want to focus on this new book, which I will start with that I devoured on my first plane trip. Since before the pandemic began on the way out to California in August, um, which I'm so glad I ripped the Band-Aid off on those plane trips, uh, I have always found your writing inspirational and motivational. But there was something about this that really hit home for me and highlighted. I highlighted so much that I have to be honest, it took me a long time to pare down questions so that we didn't have a two-hour podcast today. So let me start with asking this one. I've always thought of intention as a noun. And yet you made it into a verb, which, as I got further into the book, made a world of sense. Can you talk about your reasoning behind that? Because I'm going to guess, and no pun intended, that it was not. It was intentional. Indeed, it was. Indeed, it was intentional. I was intentioning to signal that intention without action is not fruitful that I, I had to turn into a verb. And I, I searched and searched and searched and searched. I looked through the thesaurus. I looked through the dictionary. I looked, I Googled books and I couldn't find a word that was exactly right. So I made one up. I just made it up because I, I, I felt that by turning the noun intention into an active verb, that it would do the trick and, and it, it works for me. And, and I, it was important to do that because I needed to answer a big question that came up once I had helped women, as I've been doing for the last 10 years since I wrote my previous book, No Excuses, to embrace their power. So the next question becomes the power to what? Mm-hmm. Power to what? And that's when we get into the concept of intention. Intention and intentioning. And intentioning. Um, so you is you talk about the difference between intention and ambition. Can you elaborate on that? Because yeah, I think yeah. we do confuse that. And I think I, personally, I think when we throw that word ambition in front of women, that we start to cringe a little bit because we've been so indoctrinated not to be ambitious. Indeed, boy, that is certainly true. I mean, there's there's lots of data that that validates what you just said, and that when women appear to be ambitious, that they are not necessarily appreciated or treated so well. Well, and that has tamped down women's ambition in a sense. And one of the things I found in my research is that 
women that much of the research about why women haven't reached parity in leadership is that, well, we just have lower levels of intention. Mm -hmm. Um, Excuse me. Let me start that over again. That we just, one of the things that I found as I did the research about women in power is that it often will say women simply have less ambition than men. And I would tell that to women and their eyes would roll and they'd be like, no, yeah, that's not right. We know that's not right. It's that we have ambition for a different kind of thing. We uh-huh. have we have ambition for different and we have, our, our ambition presents itself in different ways. And and so ambition is good because ambition is the fuel that you need. Ambition gives you the, the hopes, the wishes, the desires, the dreams. So it's a good thing. But again, if you only have the ambition, you may or may not do it. Mm-hmm. And so. As I see it, the difference between ambition and intention is that ambition is I wish, I hope, I want. Mm -hmm. Intention is I will, I am, I see myself doing it already. Uh, You and I both know Claudia Chan. And one of the lessons I learned from Claudia is the concept of pre-paving, in which you literally see yourself having done something. And you see yourself in that moment of, of having achieved what you wanted to achieve. That is intentioning. When you are, she calls that pre-paving, pre-paving, pre-paving the road to to where you intend intend to end up. And and so you make that switch from aspiring to something to you are so darn sure you're doing it and you are doing it. And pretty soon you have done it. That's intentioning. That's intentioning. Um, yeah, I, I never, I actually, I didn't, I have not heard her talk about the pre-paving. I think of that as visualization that you actually see yourself living it. And and so so with that then comes a level of commitment that may not necessarily happen otherwise. Ambition, it, you have to have commitment to this as well. Yes. Isn't that part of inti- intentioning? It, it, yes, it's part of it. It is commitment and it is also persistence, persistence. because persistence, because you, you know, I, I, I start the book with a story about myself and having, I, I was hiking with a friend in Arizona during one of those gorgeous, sunshiny Arizona days where you think you're living in paradise <laughs> and boom, I tripped over a pebble. And I have always heard the, the leadership aphorism that it's not the mountains that trip you up. It's the pebbles on the road. And there are many pebbles on the path to achieving an intention. Mm-hmm. So one must have a great deal of persistence, willingness to fail and pick yourself back up, go to the emergency room, get your, get your <laughs> wrist patched up and get back out there on the trail. Right. And not let it not let it impede you, but let it continue to help to move you forward. And I think that's I think that's something we all do. Sometimes I know from my own life, sometimes I've been really good about saying, okay, that was just a little pebble. And other times it's been like, okay, right now I'm just gonna pull back here and just do that thing you more dreaming about instead of intending it. Um, you do talk about socializing being a big culprit in in holding women back from leadership parity. Can you and the desire and and equality and the desire to fit in? Can, can you talk about that? Yes, of course. The the men and women, boys and girls, are socialized differently, 
And I, I, nothing is hardwired. Gender itself is a social construct. Everything we do, in fact, there's almost nothing that we have been socialized to do as women or men that you can't find another culture where the opposite sex is, is socialized to do that thing. So it, it, it's, I don't want to say that men, is for, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. I really don't believe that. I, I believe that we, we pretty much come from the same planet, and, uh, but we are socialized very differently. And I, I know somebody's listening, probably saying, well, that used to be true, but it's not true anymore. Well, it is better. It is better with each generation. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely sure. And I hope it continues to get better with each generation. Nevertheless, By the time they're six years old, boys and girls are already distinguishing between genders. They think boys are smarter than girls, even though girls are smarter than boys at six years old. They're they're better students. They can sit in their chairs and and, and, and many different things that that girls are excelling at that boys aren't. So, So we learn these things from our culture, from the media, from the television, from the, you know, the television shows they're watching, from their iPads, whatever they're gaming on their iPads, from and from their parents and the, mm-hmm. the people around them. And boys are still born into the world with basically no impediments. You know, they sort of, the way I see it is like, I see them hopping out of the womb, just knowing they own the world. And because <laughs> they do, because they do. And they we do. want them to, we want children to feel they own the world. And girls are still talked to in terms of how they look, mm-hmm. how they behave, whether they're smiling, uh, whether they're being nice, you know, how, how are they making other people feel? And those kinds of comments train a girl to see the locus of power outside of herself, not inside of herself. Yeah. And so it's a lifelong process for many of us to take that locus of power back inside. And uh, some of some, for some, it happens sooner for some, it like me, it took like decades to happen. You've got to be able to take that locus of power inside of yourself. And that frees you then to have higher levels of intention. And so women learn because they're not treated as nicely. If they appear to be ambitious and powerful, mm-hmm. they learn to hide those attributes, even if they are ambitious, even if they are powerful, we learn to hide those things. And so I, I, I've talked to very powerful executive women who would say things like, well, I don't have power, but maybe I have some influence or don't use the word power. It's a bad word. Use some other word for it. And th- th- those are just symbolic of how we're acculturated to think differently about power by, by our gender. And And the consequence is that we don't see ourselves as often as wanting that leadership position, or we see the negatives about that leadership position, or we're not inclined to want to take it just for the sake of the position. And that's one of the things I found over and over again. It's like um, the Women's Campaign Fund would say that, well, actually, every every one of the groups that helps women run for office says the same thing. They say a man will get up in the morning. He'll say, he'll look in the mirror and say, I believe I'll run for Senate. (laughs) (laughs) Have no worry about whether he's qualified, whether he should. It's just like, I believe I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that today because I want the power. I want the position. A A woman almost never will run for office with, for the sake of, of power and position. She, she will run for office as she's asked many times. 
She'll run for office if she sees an injustice, especially if it has to do with her children mm. that needs to be rectified. And that, I mean, I heard that story so many times. And so that's how ambition and intention present themselves differently for, for women. And what holds women back is, is we are the butt of a lot of jokes. We're the butt of a lot of implicit bias as well as explicit bias. And instead of taking it on, and, and the reason I wrote intentioning is I want women to know how to take those things on and use them as your superpowers now. Um, rather than let them set you back because everything that can set you back can also be a strength. So that we, we can turn those, we can turn those negatives into positives, but we have to be conscious about it and intentional about it and do it in an intentioning way. I love that. Everything that can set you back can also be a strength. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I thought that's a quotable. That's definitely a quotable. <laughs> Um, a, a tweetable. Um, you, uh, you talk about this um, idea of strategy, meaning nothing without execution, which is something that God knows in the marketing world, we talk about all the time. Um, we can have great strategies, but if we don't execute anything properly, it's not going to happen. And this idea that of resetting, reimagining, and retooling, can you talk about that? I used resetting, reimagining, and retooling as ways of, of categorizing the different ways that the women I interviewed for the book addressed the pandemic or how they reacted mm-hmm. to it. I had started the book long before the pandemic, uh-huh. a couple of years before the pandemic. I had started interviewing women with the uh, with the belief that what always happens is, and you know this, Joanne, because you write all the time, books write themselves ultimately. They do. <laughs> <laughs> They write themselves. You may think you know what you want to write, but when you start yeah. writing, when you they, start writing, it's like, well, I didn't think I was going uh, there. How did that write, happen? Yeah, yeah. They, they, they start to write themselves, and so my 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 belief was that if I would interview enough women, I would get from them a new set of leadership tools that I could share, and that would be helpful to other women. And so I had already done all the interviews before the pandemic. And so when the pandemic came, I needed to re-interview women. I right. need to re-interview every one of them because I needed to find out, uh-oh, you know, like, what's your life like now? You know, <laughs> what did you do? How did you deal with this? And I found that the answers broke down into those three categories. There was one category who, and, and these were, of, of the women I interviewed, I will say, not many of them fell into this particular category, but the one who I used as the archetype, it was so powerful to me. She had, her name is Helly, and she had come from a small town in Texas, um, granddaughter of immigrants from Mexico, um, had uh, decided that she was going to revolutionize the nail salon industry. Remember reading about this because because she saw so many immigrant women being, you know, working in the nail salons and and getting poorly paid and not respected. And but she loved getting her nails done, fancy, fancy nails and having a margarita. And she wanted to create nail salons that were that were fun. And she wanted to teach women how to turn them into lucrative businesses for themselves, not just work for minimum wage, which was, I mean, I was so taken with her. And 
I started trying to reach her after the pandemic started and she did not answer. She did not answer the phone. She didn't answer emails. She didn't answer on social media. In fact, her presence on social media had almost completely disappeared. Her business was still online, but closed. And I was, I just knew, and it turns out when she finally got back to me, that indeed she had had to completely reset, completely step back. Completely step back. She had to completely step back. She, it was just too much. She had started raising money for her business. And of course, that all disappeared as soon as the pandemic came. And uh, she's, she's pulled herself back up. And she has now completely retooled. Uh, she's moving back to Texas and running for Congress. <laughs> Wow. That unfortunately I didn't know that when when I when I finished the book, but but now I do. And I, I so that's the that's the wrapper on that story. But there was a subset of women who just had to say, I can't do this anymore. Can't do this. I can't, anymore. I can't do all this. I can't mm-hmm. do all of it. And and they maybe they lost their job, maybe they lost their business, maybe they had to take care of elderly parents and children at the same time. I mean, there were all kinds of reasons. Then there was a set of women who saw the um, opportunity in the pandemic. And they were the ones who retooled. I used um, the story of Tiffany Dufu as an example of that. And Tiffany, oh, I guess two years or so ago, had started a business called The Crew on the model of sort of like lean-in circles, except more carefully curated and, and evaluated. And the model of it was location-based, curation of groups of eight or so women who would help each other, support each other, help each other achieve their goals. That's a, you know, a pretty simple process, but it was location-based. Well, what she saw was that the pandemic meant it didn't matter where people were living. Didn't matter. She, she had many more options for matching people who would be the right curated group of eight people who could really help each other soar in their businesses. So in this past year, she's gotten $2 million in investments. Wow. And she is, uh, her, her, her business is growing by leaps and bounds. And it's because she saw the opportunity in what had changed in the pandemic. Then there were those like the pianist and um, composer, Marina Arsenevich, who I always tell her she's my archetype intentioning woman. I mean, she completely redid her entire thinking about what she, about her, what her world was, what she was going to do. Well, a performer couldn't perform. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so many, I mean, you know, venues were closing and, and how many, you know, how many unemployed actors and performers are there right now? How many have a lot? There are a lot. And so many have not been able to find some other way to make a living. And but Marina instead turned her home into a recording studio. Wow. (laughs) She just like literally turned her home into a recording studio. She has never been more productive because she was at home. She wasn't traveling. She has written new music. She has finished a huge piece on, uh, she's from Serbia, as was Nikola, Nikola Tesla. And she's been working on a, I guess you would call it a, an opera or a, a theatrical performance about Tesla for years, little by little. Well, she's now, she's about finished it now. I mean, she's like done this huge opus and she's written a, just a 
a ton of music. She has recorded so much music so beautifully. She has, oh, I don't know, almost 600,000 followers on Instagram as a consequence. Wow. And she's like using social media to the max. And millions and millions of people watch her on YouTube. So she's built her audience for when she's able to go back to live theater. But meanwhile, she's writing and selling music. She's, I mean, she's, she's created an entirely new business from what her talents are. So right. that, those were like just three different categories. And they're good examples of different ways that each of us uh, can approach a change, a disruption, a problem. And we can learn from those different ways of dealing with it. And, and, you know, none of them are bad. I, I was concerned about Heli at first, quite mm-hmm. concerned. And yet, it, it, I guess it was a time of, you would call it marination for her and thinking about what her true cause was in the world. Yeah, I, you know, I'm a big believer that everything that happens around us, that there is some reason that if we, and again, I guess that is, it's, it's looking at it instead of letting that set us back saying, what can I do to move this forward? Maybe there's something else I wasn't paying attention to. And in the case of, um, is it Haley, the, the nail salon lady, yes. the mm-hmm. fact that she's running for Congress and she lives in Texas sounds like a good thing to me. So the more <laughs> women we have, we have in Texas, um, it can't be, it can't be a bad thing. It can't be a bad thing. <laughs> it can't be, it can't be the bad thing. So, you know, one, one of the many things I've always loved about your work is that you don't just talk about theory. And you you off, always offer lots of great examples, but you also provide structure. You give tools and um, you offer guidelines. And one of them is what you call the VCA method of intentioning, vision, courage, and action. Can, can you talk about that? You said when we first started talking that you tended to think of intention as being about having the vision mm-hmm. and being, being, being started with the yes. vision. And it, it has to start with the vision. It really does have to start with the vision because you have to know, you have to have in your, in your mind, in your, in your line of sight, where you want to end up. So it does start with vision, uh, but you have to have the courage to believe you can do it. And then you have to take the action one step at a time, one step after the next step, after the next step, after the next step, until you get to where you want to go. And I, I, I often use the the example of the, my fear of suspension bridges with, uh, <laughs> with, with, with how I came up with this as a metaphor for myself that has stood me in very good stead for many years, doing things that sometimes people thought were impossible to do. And uh, that was, I, that I, I, I was um, on a hike in New Zealand on the Milford track. And it's a, it was about a three and a half day hike and one that you can't go back. It's guided. You have to you have to go all the way to the end when you start. You can't, you can't stop. So I, I didn't know when I started that I would have to cross 22 suspension bridges. 22? 22. 20, 22 suspension bridges. And these aren't like nice, you know, concrete and metal suspension bridges. These are rickety wooden with like little wires strung across the side to, you know, to hold on to. Like you can see the raging water below really easily and you can oh. see the jagged rocks on the side and they kind of weave back and forth. And uh, I, I, got, I got to the first suspension bridge and I was frozen. I couldn't move. I, I literally could not move. I felt like I was going to throw up. 
And yeah, people I've, were been, li- I've been in those places, yeah, usually those on the ski slope. Uh, <laughs> and people started lining up behind me as only one. It was so rickety. Only one person at a time could cross this bridge. So they're lining up behind me and I'm standing there. I'm clutching my walking stick like it's going to save me. And I finally realized, OK. You know, there's no way out of this. You've got to do it. So the only thing you can do is put your vision on the other side of this bridge where you have to go. That's the intention. Have the courage, suck it up, to believe believe you can do it and put one foot in front of the other, in front of the other, in front of the other until you get to the other side. There's no other way to do it. And that VCA became a, it became a a sort of mantra for me as to how to approach the seemingly intractable problems that um, I was about to be facing in droves. um, That was, I was actually at that moment, I was deciding whether or not to take the National Planned Parenthood position and, and, and where I would be doing many things that people said couldn't be done. And um, I, so the thing is that the thing is that sometimes the action has to come before the courage. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's VAC, not VCA. Uh, sometimes you just have to take the plunge long before you believe you can do it. But you have to have those three things in any case, the vision, the courage, and the action. That is the core of intentioning. Yeah, no, I love that. In fact, I quoted you in a blog I wrote recently about sometimes you just got to take that action before you really have the courage and just say, you know what, whatever happens, happens and we'll be okay. <laughs> exactly. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be okay. I'm not You're gonna, not going to die. You're not, not going to die. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're a recognized expert in women's leadership. Um, and in, in this book, you take that idea of, of outlining nine leadership intentioning tools. But before we talk about those tools, I do want to talk more about what leadership looks like in your eyes. Because I think that for many of us, we assume that leadership is reserved just for the high ranking roles in organizations. But I think that we forget that leadership can happen in small groups as well. You know, it's um, kind of like uh, influencers in social media terms. It's not just Kim Kardashian who can influence your lipstick color choice. It could be a friend who's wearing something you admire and you say, you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to get that too. Can, can you talk about that? I, I really and truly believe that, that you can be a leader from wherever you are. You have to start with feeling about feeling that you're the CEO of your own life though. You, you've got it. You're, you're leading yourself. If you lead nobody else, you're still leading yourself. And you need to feel like you're leading yourself. Again, that's the source of of your feeling the power inside of yourself, not not externally. So, uh, so I, I and you know I I didn't become I didn't get leadership roles the usual way. I didn't go to Harvard Business School. I I had to learn this leadership stuff on the job. So maybe I have homespun ideas that wouldn't um, wouldn't uh, fly in. Uh, another situation, but they've worked for me and they've worked in that. I will say that, you know, having hired and worked with so many people over the years, that it is almost always the people who assume leadership from wherever they are. I don't mean that they run over other people. That's not it at all. I mean that they have the ego strength to analyze problems and speak what they think is the best thing for the organization. 
regardless of where they are in the organization. So they're not afraid to express their their opinions and to inform their opinions before they express them. And, uh, and so, so leadership is anybody, anybody, everybody is a leader. Everybody's a leader from wherever they sit. And the more you can, the more you can think of yourself as a leader from wherever you sit, the more likely you are to have more opportunities for ever higher leadership positions. So let's get back to those nine intentionally nine intentioning tools that like I tripped over that one. Um, and I, I, we, I don't have time to go all over it to go through all of them or do we want to, because I want everyone to buy your book because I think that they should buy your book. But if you had to cherry pick mm-hmm. what would the I ones you like best, is there, is there, or is there a strategic order? There is a, there is a strategy uh, in them that, that there are actually three different buckets of those leadership intentioning tools. And they are the, the self-definitional tools, the ones that help you know yourself better because great leaders know who they are. They know who they are. They know what their values are and, and they're not afraid to share that. Uh, there are the counterintuitive leadership tools, which tend to be things that are, not only are they not taught in business school, but very often you're told not to do these things. But I've found that if you use <laughs> them in the right way, they will help you move forward. And then there are the change leadership tools or systems change tools so that you can understand that. I mean, I always say it's about you, but it's not just about you. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, we're, we're all in this together. And if we want, if we want equality, if we want diversity, if we want inclusion, if we want women to have an equal place in the world and to reach parity and gender and excuse me, if we want women to reach parity in leadership, uh, we, we are going to need to make change. It's going to require some change. And so you have to know how to make that change. So three buckets, self-definitional, counterintuitive, and systems change or change leadership. So that's there's there's that piece of it to, to, to put them into categories and a framework. I don't really have a favorite, but I have an essential. Oh, I have okay. an essential. And I do think that the first the first leadership intentioning tool is essential to all the rest. And it is uncover yourself. And that's, that's knowing yourself, getting really clear about who you are, being who you are. This is particularly challenging for women in male dominated fields, where there's a tendency to want to change behavior, change our behavior to mimic the prevailing culture. And yet that prevailing (laughs) culture is not comfortable to us. And so the reason so many women bail out at mid-career is that they're in a culture that wasn't built by them and it doesn't feel right to them. And they reach a point that they have so much emotional load that they don't want to carry anymore that they simply leave. And Mm -hmm. so it turns out though, that in today's day and age, as they would say, (laughs) uh, the, the, the very characteristics that have worked against women in the past have become our superpowers. So I get into that in the in the leadership intentioning tool that is uh, turn implicit bias on its head and use it as your superpower. So the, I guess these two are really connected in in a way. Uh, but you know the the things that women have been acculturated to do that give us more empathy, that cause us to be a little more risk averse. 
not to do stupid things to, you know, until we've thought about it. Uh, <laughs> what a concept. Think. What a concept. Think. Think, think about it first before you leap. Things like, you know, more collaboration. Those are things that are now the reason why companies with more women in them make more money, are more profitable. So when you uncover yourself and you uncover what's really you, what you find is that what makes you, what sets you apart is actually what gets you ahead because it turns out usually to be the very thing that you can capitalize on. And, and, and it can become your superpower. But if you try to tamp it down, if you try to deny who you are and what you are, you'll, you will never be, you'll never be comfortable. You'll always be stressed and you'll, you'll be, um, if you're, you know, you just, you just have to be yourself. You have to, you have to learn to be yourself and yourself will take you further than trying to be other people. You can learn from other people to be sure. You can I, I, other people, be inspired by other people, but you have to end up being yourself. No, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't agree more because in, in when I talk to people about personal branding, it's, you know, you can brand yourself to be whoever you want to be, but be the person that you are, or it's going to be really hard. It's going to be really exhausting. And ultimately, especially I think in the world that we're in right now, and I think it speaks not just to women, but, but to everybody our, our radar for what's really authentic, the bar has been raised. Like we can, we can see through the BS a lot easier than we could. And maybe that's, that's one of those things that we can thank social media and technology for. Um, Cause I go through my love hate there, but um, it's just, you know, being the more comfortable you get, you know, for myself, it, it took age <laughs> and experience um, that certainly helps. But, you know, if I knew what I knew now, when I was younger, I, I, I would have moved a lot quicker ahead and, and uh, been a lot more comfortable with myself along that way. Absolutely. So um, I have to touch on this because in your book you wrote, and this is um, before that draconian Texas SB8 law was passed, that one of the main ways that women have traditionally been kept in a subservient or second-class social position is to deny them the power over their bodies. And now we have this crazy law in Texas um, banning abortion after six weeks and essentially offering a bounty for private citizens to sue anyone who aids and abets a woman. And I believe the first person has now been sued by someone who's not even in Texas. Um, not even a, not even a, a, a barred lawyer. He's been disbarred. So. He's been disbarred, yeah. right? That's, yeah. <laughs> um, so as a former pr- president of Planned Parenthood, I'm sure you have a lot to say about that. Um, so, and how can your book help women to, to mobilize and turn this, turn this around? Um, can you talk about that? Use the leadership intentioning tools, full stop. Because if we don't speak up, uh, we're we're cooked. And uh, believe me, that law is already spreading to many other states. And honestly, you know, I was saying to somebody the other day that I think I'm probably the, the living human being with the longest historical view of reproductive rights and justice and health. And the, it combined with, having been in the front lines of actually providing services. So I don't think there's another living human being that has a longer view of history of you you know, that, that, that can combine those two things than I do. And to be quite honest with you, I have always seen 
women's reproductive rights as part of the larger civil and human rights platform. And the, the, that is where we need to be. That is where I think the discussion needs to be. And to the extent that um, my colleagues who are still in the field or who are new to the field keep arguing on somebody else's territory, you know this is a branding expert and a marketing expert. You, you're gonna argue on, if you argue on somebody else's territory, you're gonna lose. <laughs> and, and, and so I, I really think that it's super important for people to understand that it, it, abortion has never been about abortion. It, it's not. It's, it's about whether women are going to have an equal place in this world. It's, it's really fundamentally about whether, whether women are going to be able to make their own bodily decisions, childbearing decisions, uh, without government or anyone else interfering in that in that decision. They may choose to involve other people in that decision, that's fine. But ultimately, ultimately it's their own integrity that is at stake. And so I think that, um, that the, when women have equal pay and equal power and equal positions that we'll be able to overcome those kinds of laws, but we're going to have to put different people in office. We're going to have to use the power of our voice. We're going to have to use the power of our organizing skills. We're going to have to be willing to speak up and speak out. And I have a call to action for all of the women who are now in executive positions. They could not be in if they hadn't been able to plan and space their children. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, decide when they are having children or when they are not having children it, so that they could get an education that prepared them for those executive positions and that they have they were able to earn money so that they could choose the path of their own life. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to stay in an abusive relationship, for example, if you are able to support yourself and your children. So I think it's incumbent upon all of the women who are now in positions of uh, executive authority or leadership authority in any way to speak up and speak out uh, because it, otherwise their daughters and granddaughters may not have those, those opportunities and those options. And I think you only have to look at Afghanistan to see how quickly rights one can be lost. Yes, yes. Well, as always, so well, so well said, my dear. So I have one more question before we go into my little lightning round. Um, there's also a lot of men who listen to this podcast and hopefully they've made it this far today. Um, and I noticed as I was reading the book, I thought, oh, I wonder what she's going to say about men. And then there it was, the last chapter was, um, what about the men? And you offered some tips and tools for them. But um, is there anything in particular that you would say to them? Well, first of all, I would say thank you to all the men who, and there are more and more of them uh, now who are much support, not only are supportive of women, but are, are as committed to gender parity in every realm as, as, as I have been. And uh, I, I wanted to give a shout out, which I did specifically to some of the men that I know and have worked with and are working with. Uh, that uh, that 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 devote a lot of their lives to helping women get 
equality in various different ways, whether it's political or whether it's on boards, uh, uh, several of them who are helping more women get onto corporate boards. There are men who are who are like uh, David Smith, who is teaching men how to be good mentors to women in the workplace. And that's important because since men still hold most of the powerful positions, women are going to need male mentors if they're going to succeed and, and, you know, continue rising into leadership positions. So there are, there are, I wanted to give a shout out and I wanted to recognize those efforts that many men are making now. And then I also, with a slight tongue in cheek, wanted to give nine power tools to men to help them in their way. And basically (laughs) they boil, they basically boil down to listen. Would you just like, listen, (laughs) you You don't have to fix it. You don't have to fix it. it. There's no magic to this. Like, A, would you listen? B, would you, would you take proactive steps, Uh, Mm -hmm. take proactive steps? Don't just sit there and and do nothing. There are many different ways that you can be helpful in this. And I think it's also, you know, because our, somebody asked me, why did you use the word sex in your title? Why didn't you say gender? It's kind of nicer. And I said, well, that's exactly why, because, Mm -hmm. you know, because we have to deal with sex and sexuality in this. And, and it is, you know, there, when there are, when there are men and women, and, and sometimes it's, it's same gender issues that come up there, there will be sexual tension sometimes. Mm-hmm. but, but you can manage that. You don't, it's like you can have dinner with somebody of the opposite sex that you're attracted to and not hop into bed with them. <laughs> it is possible. It is possible, it is possible to do that. So, and, and the fact that you take a woman to dinner does not mean that she intends to go to bed with you. So those are little tricks of the trade that men can learn fairly quickly and easily. And so I do give men very specific tools and tips that they can use as well. And and a lot of appreciation for the men who are the ones who are stepping out and stepping up. Wonderful, wonderful. So I want to finish up with a quick little lightning round of questions that I did not have the first time you were on your podcast. And the first one is your favorite social network. My favorite social network is Twitter because I can be a little bit snippy and sassy. <laughs> and can, we can say whatever. I always tell people to follow me on Twitter at their own risk. I love it. I love it. Something people would never guess about you. People would probably never guess that I am, you know, actually people never guess that I am from small towns in Texas. Yeah, people really never funny. guess that. People mm-hmm. always assume that I, yeah, that I'm a New Yorker. And I think in my heart, in my soul, I have probably always been a New Yorker and I would like to think I'm a little sophisticated. I don't know. You, you, you can, you can tell me that, but actually people never guess that I came from small Texas towns. No, I would never, when I first met you, I would never have guessed that you were a, were you were the quintessential New Yorker and, um, <laughs> And, and I, learned, I, I learned how to clean myself up and dress myself up. <laughs> so my, my, my dad used to say he cleaned up well. Um, the last series that you binged? I am not a series binger and I cannot even answer that question. Uh-huh. I mean, okay. I, I did, I did, I did watch all of the, the series about the equal rights amendment because I had to, I just had to, and I hated it. Um, I thought it was terrible. <laughs> and uh, I, I had watched, um, I had watched, 
is it orthodox something like yes, that? orthodox like, yes yeah mm-hmm. yes i had i had i had watched that because a friend had created a really fun facebook group where people were talking about it all the time so i watched that for fun but that's already like what two years ago I'm just not a TV watcher. I don't know when that was. I think it was, you know, I've told people I've lost track of time and space in the last, um, we're going on two years now. So, but I do think it was during the pandemic. It was sometime within the last two years. Um, A food you can't live without? Bread. Uh And that's why, that's why I will always have this roll around my waist. (laughs) It's a gluten roll. It's a gluten (laughs) roll. Yes. I, I know that. I know that one um, for myself, not, not for you. Um, what you miss most about pre-COVID life? What I miss most really is just being in, in groups of people that feel so happy. I know now, now that I can every once in a while go into a restaurant, for example, it just makes me so happy to hear this noise of people enjoying themselves. And, and, and that's what I miss. That's what I miss so much. Yeah, and it's no. just like, I, I, wa- I want to be... I want to be in the middle of people and I want to be in the middle of people enjoying themselves. No, I know exactly what you mean. I'm actually teaching a couple of classes in person. And even with my mask on, it's such a delight to, and even with the students with their masks on, you can just feel the energy. Everyone's so happy to physically be in the same room together. Um, what you might miss most about post-COVID life? Um, what I might miss most about post COVID life is, um, I have no shoes on <laughs> and, and I, when I, when I went to bed last night and I, and I always looked at my calendar the night before to remember what I'm doing the next day. And I breathed a huge sigh of relief that I had nothing on my calendar today that required me to put on makeup or do my hair. <laughs> I know. Everyone asks me that before a podcast and I say, no, we're not, we're not recording the video because that would require me to put hair and makeup on. And, um, I have kind of, I feel the same way. I only want to have to do it when I'm out of the house all day. Um, what motivates you? And lastly, what motivates you to get up in the morning? What motivates me to get up in the morning is the tremendous privilege I have to hear from women who say, I took your course and now I have, I have this dream job or I did, you know, I, I, I took your, I, I listened to what you had to say and I went and I asked for more money and I got it. And those, it's those individual wins mm-hmm. that really do it for me. I mean, I know I, I operate a lot on this theoretical context. I, I like the big context and I like thinking of, of big contextual things, but, but in the end, it's the feedback from individual women, and sometimes it's men who have been motivated or learned something and it made a difference for them. That's what gets me up in the morning. I love that. And on that note, your book is now out. Um, so people, please, I will put the links in the in the show notes and please make sure you get a copy of it. I would highly suggest that you get the good old fashioned print edition, because if you're like me, this is the kind of book that you're going to be reading with a highlighter next to and writing or even a pen and writing notes to yourself in the, in the corner, which is what I did. Um, and certainly um, Gloria has all sorts of courses. I'll link to all of that on take that take the lead offers that um, people may be interested in. Thank you so much, Joanne. And I am at Gloria Felt on all social media. So I, I don't I never had a 
clever handle because I'd forget what it was. No, I don't and, either. I am atroantibrachus. I mean, there's only one of me. So that's right. And 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 the last thing I would say is, I one of the things I've learned about about having books is that right now, what's super important is to ask people to leave leave reviews, and you know put your star, you know, give me five stars, please. And, and write your review, even if it's a sentence, it is such a help because you, you don't, you, that's, that's how people learn about, about a book. And absolutely. Absolutely. Thank, about it. thank you for adding that in for all of you marketing types. And I know there's a lot of you that listen, that's how it helps those algorithms work um, where we can make them work for us instead of against us. And um and and keep this at the top of the bestseller list. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Joanne. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify so other people can find us and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note, info at joannetombrakis.com. And until next time, remember, whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there. <laughs>